Here We Stand, Singing the Hymns of the Reformation, is an album of hymns that were sung at various conference locations throughout the years. It includes A Mighty Fortress, Christ Jesus Lay in Death's Strong Bands, Lord, Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word, and seven others. The album and its ten tracks are available for download on Apple iTunes, Amazon MP3, and Google Play. CDs are also available for purchase. For more information on Here We Stand, singing the hymns of the Reformation, head over to www.higherthings.org slash herewestand. Here We Stand, singing the hymns of the Reformation, daring you to sing Lutheran. Welcome to the show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, and as always, Pastor Christopher Gillespie is behind the board. Man in the mics. And on the other side is me, Pastor Domin Riley, coming to you live from the Behavioral Sciences Unit in HT Headquarters, the lower level in Reykjavik, Iceland. So, uh, greetings to all of our listeners everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, how many? Th- I don't how, know. I how many count. what? Listeners. Actually, uh, episode one um, did, did really well. Yeah. I, I remember. Uh, what was episode one? I can't remember. Luther, Psalm 118. Oh, yeah. Luther. Yeah. yeah. That one That one crushed it. Yeah. Uh, need some more traction, though, on the recent ones. So uh, what's the thing? Oh, go uh, go to iTunes. Go yes. Go to the iTunes link in the show notes. And go to iTunes. Go rate, review. Get subscribe. It up so people yes. find it. This is as Lutheran as it gets, so technically speaking, we should be the number one Lutheran podcast Hmm. in the world to just be able to live up to the pretentiousness of that name. (laughs) Yeah, make it happen, people. Make it happen, people. Um, And as always, if you catch all of our references and you can send them to us, I will buy you a pound of Gillespie's coffee. So if you're into coffee, Mm -hmm. if you're into delicious, yummy coffee, and uh, you like Googling extremely rare <laughs> rare and obscure references to primarily 80s movies, um, there's coffee for you. So this week, we are going to look at a little book called Living by Faith, Justification and Sanctification by Oswald Beyer. Uh, is he our first still living Lutheran theologian? No, Nagel's still alive. Nagel's still alive. Yeah, so. Nagel's still alive. Too. There we go. So, Although, although Nagel's not teaching. I don't think Beyer's teaching actively not actively maybe just no. in retirement yeah. yes and and also uh in my opinion one of the most difficult lutheran theologians to translate um he never met a word that he couldn't you know expand to 10 and uh my uh, my former dorm mate when i was at concordia st paul his dad is a professor there and so i got to know him and i still know him i run into him from time to time but he is the translator of most of this buyer stuff really and so, he, well, yeah, whenever we run into each other, I always ask him to tell me another buyer story because uh, he, always, <laughs> he relates how translating buyers a nightmare because buyer is much, always tries to micromanage him and, and try and alter the translation. And uh, buyer is bilingual. I mean, he can yes, exactly, exactly. Right. Very, you know, he speaks English very well. And so it's the Germanness of buyer that won't let him let go of the text, release the text. And uh, so at a certain point, Tom has to turn his phone off so that buyer he doesn't talk to buyer anymore, so he can get the uh, translation to the publisher <laughs> for for his own sanity, probably mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, this evening we are fueled by raw and organic live kombucha. I'm drinking cola flavor tonight. Oh, it's so good. We get it. I we hear we get it at Target, but yeah, I just You've mentioned it. that before. Yeah, I can't. I don't like the bitterness of regular kombucha. Yeah. Uh, the vinegar. You know, you made your own. Uh, yes, we have. That's culture. even worse. Yeah. That's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this stuff, because it's cola flavored and has different uh, ginger flavor and so forth, uh, I like this. It doesn't have that uh, vinegary kind of undercurrent oh, right. to it. Yeah, that I really sharp it. kind of That's edge, right. right? And if you yeah. didn't know, uh, probiotics are gluten free. <laughs> It's all digested in the process. Oh, yes. That's, yes. These glute, these bacteria are loaded with gluten. <laughs> all these complex gluten strands floating mm. around amongst the bacteria. Mm. Everything. That's the that's the new organic is gluten free. So, I suppose it is. Yeah. So this week, buyer uh, living by faith, starting on page fifty one, the second full paragraph that begins with the term promise. Did you send me that page? Uh, 51, I think I did. 51 and 52. Mm. Mm. I think you sent me 52. Uh, oh, there's 51. There Look, at that. Look at that. Yeah, I gotta open uh, Mr. Gillespie's books are packed in boxes, and so... His, yeah, I'm kind of you, a pastor in what, hiatus and in, in exile or yes, something. Expatriated. <laughs> I'm not going to go through those boxes until I find the one that this is that's in. Right. So. so, yes, I, I take pictures and send them to you. You're my librarian. That's right. Um, so let us begin with uh, Bayer. The term promise, promissio in Latin, is the center of Luther's theology. There you go. Perfect thesis statement. Mm-hmm. Promise yeah. is the center of Lutheran, well, Luther, and therefore Lutheran theology. When he, Luther, says that God promises, he does not refer to something in the future that we may anticipate. So, for example, what? We don't live as if we're forgiven. Mm-hmm. somewhere out there in the future we live because we are forgiven in the present tense right. so we have the promise of baptism is not something that we have to wait for it's something that we have right you are right. baptized and this mm-hmm. goes back i would assume to the fact that we believe in a full atonement not a part partial atonement mm. and therefore there's nothing for us to work toward because it's already been done in the past tense and it has a perfect ongoing continuing effect in the present right so baptism now saves you for example right the promise is not only an announcement that will only be fulfilled in the future got it it is a valid and powerful promise and pledge that takes immediate and present effect oof Hmm. so this brings up two points uh one is that i was taught when preaching that the gospel is always present tense yeah that is, it is powerful and a promise that is present tense, and as he says here, has an immediate effect. And this is the other thing I wanted to bring up in relation to this then, is that when we read Romans 1, 16 and 17, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation you know, for all who believe, we always jump to gospel and believe, or whoever yeah. believes. But we skip over that little word power. And I think... Mm. This is something very recently I, that I've become aware of for myself is that the gospel has an immediate and present effect because it actually carries power. It's not the aspiration, the expression of an idea. It has actual power. Or like I said uh, this past weekend in a presentation I did on the bondage of the will, yeah. that the, the, the gospel has no meaning. 
That is, it's not an idea in search of definition. The gospel has no meaning because it is the power of God unto salvation. It does what it says. Yeah. The gospel doesn't come to you and ask, what do you think this means? But rather, this is what it means. This is. So, as I said to a Presbyterian minister I was speaking with last week, the reason that we believe that it's not a spiritual eating is because we believe is means is. Yeah. The gospel is always present tense and therefore unconditional. That is promise. I will go to the store is a promise. I may have been taught that at the seminary, but I don't think that's the kind of preaching that I remember as a child. I mean, the, the, it seems to me that there was a lot of preaching about about heaven, you know, when sure. we get to that place, or I mean, it probably sounds pretty Methodist to me now. In but, the but sweet in case, by and by, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, well, in this life that we have to live now that's full of suffering and pain and, and, and all these sort of things, um, you know, just wait until it's all better, you know? Right. So that's how the, the promise was approached, that we, that you, the, that there's the promise, and mm-hmm. that gives you, I guess, future tense in your faith hope. And, yeah. and hope. And so, you know, you just have to hold on, you'll make it, and everything will be better. Right. So, wait a minute, so what does that really have to do with me now? I, <laughs> I can just put that in my back pocket and just kind of hold on. And there's still time, right? There's always yeah. time yeah. then to right. correct, to save, to curb, to change. Because mm. ultimately the promise is it's a, it's a carrot that's dangled in front of you. Right. And the hope then is that through this encouragement and exhortation, this urgency to ascend rather than descend a backslide that's how you'll be saved you will be saved Hmm. rather than the immediate and the present effect of the gospel yeah the uh i'm thinking of the statement from uh, walter um one of his better things that he said Mm -hmm. i look at walter someday right Um, oh i looked at it today actually i was thinking of lecture 39 what was i gonna say oh that uh christian preaching is always preaching for conversion Yes, exactly, right. exactly. Yeah, so so he's so he th- thought of his congregation. I mean, because we can't separate the what sheep from the goats, the wheat mm-hmm. from the tares. Yeah, so, and, and you can't distinguish. So you, so you preach towards conversion for everyone. Exactly. <laughs> you don't act as a, oh, you know, I'll just deal with that next week, right? <laughs> well, and again, going back to what I uh, the bondage of the will. You, as a preacher, you can only assume two things about your hearers: either they are bound in sin and death and need to be set free. Or they are relatively free who need to be bound by the law. Hmm. And depending on where you come, which direction you come from, that's how you will preach a sermon. You know, if you, I keep saying you know, it's a, it's a Minnesota thing. I, I, every time I listen to our podcast, it drives me nuts that I keep saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need a giant post-it on my computer that says, stop saying you know. It's, so anyways, <laughs> I, I am aware. <laughs> but that... If you assume that the hearer is is dead, then mm-hmm. exhorting the hearer to get up isn't doing any good. What you yeah, need get well is soon, right? <laughs> exactly. You need something that says to the to the dead person, "Get up and walk." Mm-hmm. Then, sure, you can talk about, "Hey, you should go home and eat. And you should, you know, take care of your neighbor, all that kind of stuff." But if you come at your hearers as though they're dead. Then you seek to, like you said, convert them, so to speak, resurrect mm-hmm. them into the right. kingdom. If you assume they're still living, what you're doing then is trying to give them reasons to live and not die. Hmm. 
Is that a misunderstanding of uh, St. Paul when he says, you know, when we were, you know, we were once dead in trespasses and sins? I believe you know, so. Understanding, yeah, understanding that is just past tense, and now we're we're past that. We can right. move on from that. Yes. Yeah. As if. <laughs> As if we don't, lo- and and that would mean that you know, with what Byer's talking about, we'd no longer need that present ten- tense Correct. effect of the, of the promise. Well, and circling back around then the gospel doesn't have any power apart from what we imbue it with what we what we inject into the gospel is its power which is again why hmm. i think you you see some preachers come at it from the direction of of behavior modification or trying to help and fix because they yeah. don't believe the gospel has actual power apart from what they put into it versus hmm. This he-man kind of I am the power that the gospel is just yeah. that's kind of, that's just me- medieval Catholicism, isn't it? Yes, of course. D- didn't we have like a Reformation about that? Little one, little one. I think next Tuesday right. is the date, the anniversary date. Well, next Tuesday for yeah. you and I in the present tense. Well, this will come out before then. Sure. Well, yeah. Sure. But all those listening in the future. <laughs> okay. Again, to right. our human animal overlords. That's right. <laughs> those hybrids chimeras so if we go back then it is a valid and powerful promise and pledge that takes immediate and present effect a good comparison is the text of english banknotes that's money that's money for you young whippersnappers (laughs) what do we know of english what what is a bank note i promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of x amounts of pounds Mm -hmm. london for the governor and company of the bank of england chief cashier with this understanding of the term promise, Luther was moving along the lines of medieval German legal thinking that used the word promissio, promise, to describe the way a ruler bound and committed himself at his enthronement. So there you go. Hmm. When Christ takes the throne, in this analogy, he promises to bind and commit himself to the people, his subjects, his servants, in a particular way, shape, and form. And as we were discussing in the adult Bible study this evening, Galatians chapter 1, Paul lays that out, grace and peace through Jesus Christ, according to the will of God our Father, is a summary of the entire letter to the Galatians. It's all about grace and peace through Jesus Christ and what gets in the way of that. That's really the the text of the whole letter. It is yours. (laughs) Right. And and here's the problem that that you have that prevents you from um, receiving it. For Luther, yeah, exactly, what's yours? So for Luther, when he comes at this, he upends the late medieval system that you just referred to because instead of the measure being our penance, our contrition, it's God's grace and peace through Jesus Christ. Uh, I was discussing this with a friend of mine over the weekend that the where Luther, one of the biggest... Um, in a, I don't know, corrections that Luther actually gave to the church is his translation of the word repent, where it says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. That Jerome translated that as penitentia. Do penance. So, in the Vulgate, it's, it says, do penance, make penance. Luther corrects that to metanoia, but he means a turning or a turning around. Not just a change of thinking, which is a more modern understanding of that word, but rather a complete turnaround. So that's heart, mind, body, the whole whole person. Yes. So therefore, in the um, ninety five theses, when God calls a man to repent, what does He call? You know, how much of His life is a matter of repentance? 
Yeah, well, it was the whole man. The whole of his life, the whole man. So Jerome then, in what, the 4th century, translate this, translates this metanoia as due penance, on which the entire late medieval Roman system is based. Words you, matter, kids. Words do matter, kids. And you can even argue that the entire medieval system of economics is based on Jerome's translation of due penance, because due penance has a value placed upon it. Hmm. Penance and contrition are a value, a fact value way of measuring sin and repentance and faith. So the entire late medieval system is based on Jerome's translation of metanoia as due penance and the evolution of that transactional understanding of the Christian faith, hmm. on which the entire papacy is built to this day. And then Luther comes along and says, yeah, the only transaction that occurs is between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that out of that interaction, just as Bayer talks about with the king taking his pledges, we receive grace and peace. Yeah. That there is no third plank because there is nothing to hang on to. And again, for you kids, the third, like in the old days, they didn't have life preservers. And so if your yeah. ship went down, <laughs> you grabbed a yeah. plank <laughs> until no, no, it filled up with water. No and then you orange life yes. preservers. So for yeah. Luther, he takes that that image of the plank, the shipwreck, and of sin and the plank as the, the penance, there were three planks, that Luther takes that and says, the plank sinks and you sink to your death. Mm. But it's okay because Jesus went ahead of you into that death. Mm. That ultimately what pen, penance is a rejection of the gospel because it's a rejection of the power of the gospel and it's a rejection of life through death and resurrection at trying to save your own life. The the, the plank system with your three planks mm-hmm. uh, bears a striking resemblance to what, the five pillars of Islam? Correct. You know, it, again, it's just a, it's a way to bring works in. That's yeah. the problem with the old Adam. When it comes to, you know, when it comes to legalism, the old Adam is wholly unoriginal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we use different metaphors. But, ten pillars, yeah. 12 steps, 10 commandments, four golden rule, you know, that's... Yeah, we just changed the number because we're number. That's that's the point of kind of Jerome doing that too in his translation is we are unrepentant number crunchers mm. that we ha- we have to assess a numerical value to yeah. everything. You weighed in the you were weighed in the scales and found. I was talking with a friend the ab- the absurdity that in our legal system, if I go to Eastern Europe and buy a person, it's okay as long as she's my wife. <laughs> but I can't go and buy a twelve year old because that's child trafficking. Mm. I can I can give yeah. away love to my wife, but if I try and buy love, that's against the law. That's that's the old Adam's logic in a nutshell. Mm. I can buy a woman so long as she's my wife. Otherwise, it's against the law. That's crazy. Mm. <laughs> but that's yeah. the way the world thinks. That's the way that the old Adam thinks is there has to be a numerical value on everything. And if there's not, it's illegal. So then that's that's why uh, Lennon McCartney would say, can't buy me love, right? Correct. Yeah, because they're in that system too. <laughs> you know, that's completely derailed my my thought process. Because now I'm singing that song in my head. Because you're, try, so, you're trying to bring in the rest of the lyrics. Yeah, no, they're there. They're right front and center. My daughter is 11 years old as of Friday, and on our way home from jujitsu, we listen to the Beatles because she loves the Beatles. She plays the cello because of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, sure. and she the, is very the, the proud to tell song. everyone sure. the reason she plays the cello is because of the Beatles. So I just have, and I, I dated a girl in college for two and a half years who was a diehard Beatles fan. I went through my Beatles phase. 
Mm. Now my 11-year-old is is in her Beatles phase, so I'm forced to relive not only the memory of my college girlfriend, but I have to sing. I know every Beatles song, and my daughter thinks I am a mad genius because of this. Yeah. How do you know all their songs? Well, you see, honey, I dated a crazy person in college. <laughs> I do think it's probably essential, you know, musicology. Oh, 100%. No, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, you should know the the Beatles catalog. Oh, hundred percent. And and my kids get that, which I think is really great that they get that when they listen to Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or whoever it is, they recognize or they'll ask the question, "Did they make this up first? Mm-hmm. You know, they've gotten this at the point when I'm because I'm constantly saying, "Well, no, they stole that from Led Zeppelin, or Led Zeppelin stole that from <laughs> Blind Lemon Jefferson." You know, and so we watch Buster Keaton and Andrew Lloyd you know, silent films because they love Buster Keaton and they love Bugs Bunny, Charles Jones, Bugs Bunny, and Tom and Jerry's. They love yeah. that stuff. So when they see movies like, you know, Captain America or Black or Doctor Strange or whatever, automatically like too much CGI, too much CGI. They they are constantly criticizing movies. They, they criticize music for being overproduced hmm. and fake. You know, my daughter, again, Alma, she she hates pop music because she says it sounds fake. And it doesn't mean anything. She's big on lyrics. Hmm. She loves punk rock and she loves rap because she's like, it's got a beat and it's simple. And I like the words. If the words have a, a point, I like the words. So the Beatles, a lot of their songs tell stories. Hmm. You know, most of their songs are stories. And she loves Abbey Road because of Eleanor Rigby and, the you know, those kinds of songs um, because they tell stories. And that's the genius of the Beatles' music, is they're really the first band to perfect that. Yeah, of just being, not only being storytellers in their music, but then the music reflects the the story. Right. And that was the uniqueness of each individual member, is they brought that with them to the, so Here Comes the Sun, is so George Harrison, when you listen to his mm-hmm. first solo album. And right. then uh, you listen to Come Again, or Come Together, that is so John Lennon. Mm-hmm. If you listen to Lennon's later solo stuff. And yet, like that documentary about Sgt. Pepper on, on Netflix points out, Paul McCartney was really the guy in the band that pushed the music and the lyrics. Hmm. And John fed off of it that Paul was actually the dominant personality and Paul was a very passive person, actually. And they couldn't buy love. And they that couldn't buy love. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, my, my, my tangent gear shifted I think I'm in fifth I'm in fifth yeah okay down that's right right. just put into neutral let's just coast right so what we're saying kids is don't give in to transactional thinking and don't hold on to that third plane Mm -hmm. Luther was moving along the lines of medieval German legal thinking that used the word promissio to describe the way a ruler bound and committed himself at his enthronement this was how God also committed himself in the promissio pronounced in his name when a pastor declares to you the entire forgiveness of all your sin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's the pledge of your king. Mm-hmm. You are forgiven. That the purpose of all history is your hearing the forgiveness of sin. If you think of the yeah. example of Joseph, everything that happens to Joseph is because he is the elect of God. And the purpose of Joseph going through everything he experiences is so that he can pronounce forgiveness of sin to his brothers. Yeah, what you meant for evil. God Ev- meant for your exactly, God. exactly. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Jonah, same thing in uh, Galatians, that yeah. Paul saying, I was chosen before I was born to bring this message of the gospel to you. 
that's why it matters. That all of creation is bent towards our salvation. That's a, what Joseph and Jonah and Paul are proving by the very fact that they're relating their story. They're relating their experience for mm-hmm. us. And that if God's yeah. promissio has no power, Abel dies and that's the end of the church. Yeah. And yet the promissio is Seth. If Seth mm-hmm. isn't baptized, we're not here. To us, the most fragile thing ever. To God, unbreakable, because it's a promise. Right. right. So, past, present, future, immediate. Yes. Which is how Abraham can be saved on account of the promise. Hmm. Although he wasn't baptized, although he didn't have the sacrament of the altar, he Bible had promise. he threw faith according to the promise. Exactly. And so, Abraham, Peter, and you are all experiencing the same power of the gospel simultaneously in the present tense. That's interesting, because the way that you just communicated Abraham's um, salvation being by faith in the yeah. promise, you you mentioned how some people then have criticism and say, well, he wasn't baptized, he wasn't that. And so, they're approaching whatever, the sacrament of the altar, mm-hmm. or baptism, as a transaction with God, too, to prove yes. something or to receive something or to jump through the right hoop or whatever it is, and not actually um, a reception of that promise in a very particular way. Correct. Hmm. Which is also, when we had that the Nagel episode, we were talking about Augustine on the sacraments. Augustine understood those things as being linear, not Kairos time, not, hmm. not now time, but rather linear. Yeah. And therefore, there could be different sacraments at different times. Because as so long as the word is in the is in the thing, it's a sacrament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas if we collapse all of time and space into Christ in the present tense, which is true, because for God all time is now, it's chirotic, then the promise is the thing, because it's happening simultaneously throughout all time and history. It's one loud gospel explosion, yeah, through time and through time and space, and that's it. It's just a word, and it's done. That's the power of the gospel. It is, it's part of our problem with this idea of the gospel and it being a promise and a declaration and that it's for all, mm-hmm. um, that we want to limit it, you know, and, and again, in a kind of a transactional way, just kind of limit its scope and its range, and that if it's not received in this particular way in this particular time and place, then then we're not sure if it's actually effective. And well, I think that's know. why you see the turn back to covenantal speaking, even though mm. it's a New Testament in his blood. A covenant is an agreement between two living p- parties right. that is nullified when one party dies. Mm-hmm. A testament doesn't is a will. It doesn't go into effect until one of the parties dies. Right. Therefore, the death of Christ, which Paul clarifies for us in 1 Corinthians 11, makes this a testament, not a covenant. And we try and double back on the covenant because the testament, well, it, it sets us free. Yeah. That's the dirtiest word in the Bible. The scariest word in the Bible is freedom. Well, and that's the thing with the testament is that it actually uh, is true regardless of whether you agreed to it or not. Yeah. Whereas a, whereas a covenant, if you disagree with the, the covenant, I mean, you break the term of the covenant then. Right. That's an excellent point. You can't violate the terms of the contract. But mm-hmm. if my dad dies and leaves me a pony, it's my pony. I gotta do. I gotta decide what to do with it. I know because <laughs> now I'm thinking if I dig a pony. Away. Thank you, Gillespie. I dig a pony is stuck in my head. Uh. <laughs> there will be Beatles references for the rest of this podcast, thanks to you. There you go. Just nice. lyrics popping out. It but happens. I, I dig a pony is my new favorite Beatles song. I love the guitar riff. So back to Bayer. 
So God committed himself in the promise pronounced in his name. He was bound by it, and he will stick to it and keep it. Faith, then, lays hold of God by accepting and counting on the given promise. Again, we don't count promises. We count on the given promise. Mm -hmm. That is, we depend on it. We trust that it will be there always given to us, verbally. And therefore, it lays hold of the faithfulness of God. Ah, there's the point. Faith lays hold of the faithfulness of God, because the faithfulness of God is what creates faith. <laughs> that seems circular. It is. That's how relationships mm-hmm. work. It's a circle. Mm-hmm. It's a dance. Well, a giving relationship in this case, or a promise relationship. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Yeah. It gives the faith to trust in the faithfulness. That is trust right. and faithfulness. So, the whole question of is it the faith, you know, is it the faithfulness of God or the faith of God? What is it? Is Yes. That's the answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. One, yeah, one is on the that. cause and the other is the consequence. Right. But they're both, they're, they're both from God. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, therefore, it lays hold of the faithfulness of God, of his truth, his word, his righteousness. The truth of faith lies in participation in the promise and faithfulness of God that is promised and imparted to it. Mm. That's a tongue twister, but that's very German. The truth, the truth of, faith. of faith lies... In participation in the promise, for example, going to the Lord's table regularly. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, living, using your baptism in your vocation. That is participation, putting the old Adam to death is participation in the faithfulness of God. Mm-hmm. That the promise of God is grace and peace to us through Jesus Christ. The problem is the present evil age from which we need to be delivered. Yeah. Because the, I'm not talking about war and genocide, I'm talking about the stuff that looks, feels, tastes, awesome but it's evil right so you could try to try to find god you know through some kind of existential experience right yeah so you can go out for a, a, a for a wilderness wandering mm-hmm. or a hike or whatever you know and it might be an awesome experience and you see great things um but it can it strengthen faith if it isn't giving you the promise right and the, right. Again, we talked about this in the last episode you can worship god anywhere mm. but you can't worship jesus anywhere because jesus actually declares to us where he's going to be located. Right. And, and he is the faithfulness of God. God pops up all over the place, and he's kind of scary most of the time. Mm-hmm. Then, and here's the kicker, Bayer quotes Luther, <laughs> and it's a big one. What is this from? The Let's see, the it first Psalms lecture, first... 1524. Yeah, 1524, from the Psalter. Uh, for yeah, the Bible, I'll tell you which psalter, which psalm it is, though. Yeah, I have to go but look so it this up. is a quote from Luther from 1524 when he's uh, writing about the psalter. Truth means faithfulness on which we can rely and in whom we can take refuge. Capital T, truth, obviously. Truth equals faithfulness. Mm-hmm. So truth equals faithfulness uh, on which we can rely and in whom we can tr- take refuge, and we ourselves will stand by what we say and live up to what is expected. We will stand up, or I'm sorry, we will stand by what we say and live up to what is expected, which is to say, like Paul to the Galatians, this gospel wasn't given to me by a man or from any man, but rather through mm. Jesus Christ by God our Father. Right. Therefore, the gospel I preach is not technically, quote unquote, my gospel in the sense that I invented it, <laughs> but rather it's what I received in order to deliver to you. Right. Secondly, then, I can't not stand on this gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And through this gospel, 
The fruit is kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. The things he lists is the fruit of the Spirit. So participation in the promise isn't something that we work to or work up to, but rather it's simply the present effect and the immediate effect of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And this is what scares us. (laughs) The gospel has the power to do what it says. Yeah. Not in a procedural or a process kind of way. Exactly. Like it's not becoming a Christian, right? Right. It's not it's not cheese whiz. Mm-mm. It's smoked gouda, a block, a knock of smoked gouda. It's ready to go. It's ready to go. Fresh out of just fresh out. Just mm, smoked gouda. It's that time of year. It's fall. It's 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 that kind of it's smoked gouda time. Smoked gouda, some juicy dark turkey meat. Oh baby. That's the stuff. I haven't eaten dinner. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> So truth means faithfulness on which we can rely and whom we can take refuge, the truth being a person, not a thing, and we mm-hmm. ourselves will stand by what we say and live up to what is expected, that is, to stand in relation to Christ Jesus. And why mm-hmm. wouldn't you? Thus God everywhere in Scripture glorifies himself regarding us in the fact that he is merciful and faithful, always displaying faithfulness and love, and offering us to the full both friendship and blessing. Wow. That's a fastball. It's got some heat on it. Yeah. Glorifies himself regarding us. The (laughs) fact that he declares us righteous is why he glorifies in his righteousness. Yeah. So his glory is found in what he does, what he gives to us. Yes. Yes. Which is, of course, bound to his character, that he's merciful, faithful. Right. That he loves and he gives everything. Oh, that's fantastic. That is Mm -hmm. phenomenal. God Mm. everywhere in Scripture, not somewhere, everywhere. (laughs) He is merciful, faithful, always, key point, always displays faithfulness and love and offers to us full friendship and blessing. Yeah. Even when uh, Israel was going after false gods? (laughs) Even (laughs) when. When they did that, yeah. Once or twice. Going back to the example of Joseph, Joseph is the elect of God. That doesn't change because his brothers throw him down a well, sell him to slavers, or he's thrown in jail. Right. He is the elect, and he will declare forgiveness of sin to his brothers. Therefore, you you know, he doesn't say when he's down the well or in the slave caravan or in jail, "What? why are you doing this to me? I thought you were on my side. Hmm. But rather, he he's faithful. And, and even if he did say that, that wouldn't change the promise. Negate God's faithfulness. Yeah, and that's the him. rub for us. For the old Adam, mm-hmm. the fact that nothing we can do or say will negate God's promise to us drives us to the point of saying things like, "Pastor, if you keep preaching that way, people are just going to go out and sin more." Mm. As if the gospel has no power. That's right. And as if the gospel promotes sin, mm-hmm. which it doesn't do. You know, should we send all the more that grace may abound? Right. Yes. No, not ever. But yes, I get your point. (laughs) (laughs) There's a there's a sound bite. (laughs) Yeah, that was close. Riley finally said it. (laughs) We should send that grace may abound. (laughs) Full friendship and blessing. We can rely upon it that he will do this faithfully, fulfilling all that we expect. Sheepers. Hmm. Getting kind of out of control there now. He will faithfully fulfill all that we expect. 
in Christ. I'm going to add a little bracket in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Our expectations are conformed to what he has promised. Yes. So that we can glorify in our sufferings and affliction because we have been chosen to suffer and be afflicted as Christ was. Mm -hmm. This is why Peter, John, and James get tortured and then go home singing hymns. (laughs) Imprisoned. Let's sing a hymn. That's right. We are marching, marching. Yes, yeah. <laughs> some bad, bad yeah. campfire song. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can rely on uh, on that he will do this faithfully, fulfilling all we expect. The Hebrew word for faithfulness and truth is emet. From this comes emuna. And quoting Habakkuk, Saint Paul translates this as faith. Hmm. So there you have it from the man Martin Luther himself, who spent over twelve years translating the Old Testament and editing it. That the word for faithfulness and truth is emet. From this comes emuna, and to quote Habakkuk, St. Paul uses this word for faith. Mm. God's faithfulness is our faith, Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. Here then is the kicker, <laughs> and that's in quotes. If the just live by faith, but it's the faith of God, we live because God is faithful. Mm-hmm. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like the the one confession of sins. What is that? Uh, he is faithful and just and will forgive, right? Yes. Yeah, and so we we don't claim that we deserve or merit forgiveness at all in mm-hmm. our confession. Um, we just simply say what is true of us, and but then what is true of God, right? Yes, yes. And then our trust is in that. The just shall live by faith. The Psalms often speak of the faith of God. In his faith, God gives faith to us, and we build upon that faith. In Hebrew, the words truth and faith or faithfulness mean much the same and can be used interchangeably. Hmm. In our language, we say that those who keep the faith are true and trustworthy. Those whom we mistrust, we regard as false and untrustworthy. End quote from Luther. Yeah, and I think I mean I think there's a place I mean running with Luther here and and Bayer as well to to quickly and easily substitute true uh, trust mm-hmm. for faith. Right? Yes, faith is eh, in English just become kind of a mush, mushy mm-hmm. word, right? Right, because right. it uh, for most people faith has no object. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's the that's it's a good faith point in anything. It's just it's just this kind of un, just believe. weird hopefulness. As uh, Shepherd Book said to Mel, Shepherd Book said this to Mel, his last words, I don't care what you believe in, just believe. Did he really say that? He does. Shepherd <sighs> Book actually says that before he dies. I don't care what you believe, just believe. Hmm. And the now most, he's actually dead. The actor is. That's right. So he's not coming back for the reunion. No, he won't be there. That's the, I said some joke today that uh, Netflix has become the pre-approved TV network. <laughs> hey, I got this proposal. Say no more. Here's some money. Don't you want to know oh, what it's about? Gosh. Nope. Just take our money. Apparently next year they're going to produce 80 TV shows. Yeah, I, I think their annual budget exceeds CBS at least. I can't remember. Oh, at least. Yeah, it's, it's out of control. It's, How did they end up there? Well, they so went international. Sp- they, they were struggling in the U.S., and then they went international. If you calculate how much they're making in China from subscriptions mm-hmm. and then read the Wall Street Journal complaining that they're billions of dollars in debt, they're making that money back every month. Yeah. Just, just by the United States and Canada alone, every month they're making – I think I figured out like 20 to th- whatever it is. It's like they're making billions of dollars every month mm-hmm. to the extent that losing a couple billion to them, like 40 billion for them is laughable. 
That's how yeah. much money they're making. They were playing. They were playing the long game from yeah. the get go. Yeah. Amazing. Let's wrap this up uh, with Bayer here. Last paragraph for Bayer, bringing mm-hmm. it home. God keeps his promises. God pledges himself to us. In giving us faith, God shows faith in us. Again, the reason that God glorifies himself is because he looks at our faith, which is in truth his faith, but yeah. imparted to us. The fact that you atheists don't wrestle with this question. Hmm. Only those possessed of the Holy Spirit wrestle against the Spirit and therefore have this question. The concepts of faith and faithfulness are both present. God pledges himself to us and gives faith to us. Hence, we too can have faith in God and rely on him. Hmm. Not because we are trustworthy or faithful, but rather he has proven himself trustworthy and faithful through the keeping in the present tense and the immediate mm-hmm. effect of his gospel promise. Yeah. Which is why Luther, the center of Luther's theology, to circle back around to the thesis, is the term promise. If you want to understand Luther's theology, past all the terms like law, gospel, justification, sanctification, all that stuff, if you want yeah. to just scale it all back to its literal essential part, the, like the nucleus at the heart of all of this, it's the word promise and Luther's understanding of, of promissio promise. And Bayer mm-hmm. sums it up for us Saves you the trouble of reading all Luther's works in English and German and Latin. In about a page, Hmm. he pulls out the one quote from Luther you need in order to understand this language of promise, and he just surrounds it with a paragraph and a half of exposition of that paragraph by Luther, which is Luther wrapping himself around Romans 1, Mm -hmm. which he wrote about in a book on the Psalter. (laughs) So remain, remain... In the promise with, uh, you know, yes. or with Christ or, you know, in the, in the embrace of God or however. I mean, there's lots of ways that, the, that, we, that we would speak of this. Well, and going back to what you said earlier, that that's the, the, the whole point of the sermon is conversion or to scale it back to this language of promise. Every sermon is simply God declaring to you what you forgot on account of sin this past week. Correct. That yeah. he's still God and, and Jesus still wins. Yeah. In case you forgot, <laughs> here's the truth again, the truth that you believe. In case you forgot. So, the encouragement and the exhortation that comes out of that is not an encouragement and exhortation to try harder or do more, but rather to instead uh, enjoy being with Christ, being in Christ. Mm-hmm. Being and who you are. Being who actually. you are in Christ, which is a, a suffering servant who is afflicted by temptation and sin. Mm-hmm. And yet, the faith and the trust in God's faithfulness is the work of God in us. Therefore, the fact that we have faith in the midst of affliction, the fact that we have faith in the midst of temptation, the fact that we even confess our sin, when trusting that God will forgive us every single time, so that everyone who is broken by the demands of the law, everyone who is broken by temptation and sin, needs to hear the promise repeated because they're broken. And therefore, the pastor, the preacher, the friend sitting across the table in the kitchen is not to be the one who breaks them again, but rather the Mm -hmm. one who declares to them, oh, you're broken. In fact, you're dying. Hmm. And you're going to die, but the good news is you'll be raised from the dead. Yeah, God's already got this in the bag, right? This is also why I'm careful when I use the language of brokenness in pastoral care because it implies that there's a healing Hmm. But the healing of the Christian is de- through death and resurrection. Yeah. It's 
it's specific to Jesus. So that I'm not, as your pastor, trying to maintain the lifeline that you have with God, but rather to remind you, in baptism, God promises that you're going to die, but that your death will be in Christ, and therefore it will be a resurrection into eternal glory. The very thing that no one wants to beg, borrow, or steal from us that we can never sell is our death. That's the mechanism of our salvation for that reason. It's the mechanism of the promise for that reason, that this world is passing away. And yet, you and I will be raised from death in the new world. Because the last enemy to be overcome is death. death. Mm-hmm. The That's why death. we preach Christ crucified. Not yeah. simply just Jesus, nice guy, but Jesus who is the promise. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. The promise in, mm-hmm. in, on two legs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was good. That was nice. Isn't that nice? That. Yeah, that's good. Encouraging for this day. So I hope you enjoyed that, uh, the podcast this evening, despite all of my upper Midwestern verbal tics. Yeah. Uh, go read. And a few, and a few tangents. And a, f- a few. <laughs> uh, enjoy, enjoy those hours of Beatles that you'll be listening to now. And again, it's Living by Faith, Justification and Sanctification by Oswald Byer. It's a short little book. Yeah, it sounds uh, like it's like super dense, 400 pages or something, but it's not. No, 83 right? pages, with an, and that's with an introduction and a mm-hmm. foreword. It, it's a tight little book, and of all Byer's books, this is probably the easiest one to pick up and read. He's right. like Saze, he's German, so he's dense, and he definitely will make you think, but he also has this skill that he can pull out just the juiciest Luther quotes. They're just so good, like the one we just mm-hmm. looked at. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the mark, for me, that's the mark of a really great theologian and exegete, is this encyclopedic knowledge of their fathers, our fathers, our theological fathers, that they can draw upon yeah. uh, to, to draw together these patterns to say Romans one seventeen relates to what Luther wrote here in 1521, and this relates to what I'm writing here you know, today. And in that way, lead us through what we this whole podcast is about, which is how the Scripture informed our fathers, and therefore our theology, our confession. And for me, then, that's what makes a really great, you know, great in the sense of somebody I want to I really read and, and get to know better, is just the ability to do that. That our, our faith isn't... Um you know, a modern invention, but that it's part of this continuous stream. Yeah, right. From prophets, apostles, you know, Christ himself to the present day. Exactly. So enjoy (laughs) that, folks. Um, And everything else that you uh, got out of this podcast. Thanks for listening. Again, go subscribe and like us all over social media and on iTunes. And I hope we pass the audition. like what you're listening to higher things podcasts are free for you but they aren't free to produce please consider supporting the higher things podcasts as lutheran as it gets gospeled boldly and the black cloister check out www.higherthings.org support for more information thank you for listening and thank you for your support